Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to episode 10 of the Gen Z GOP podcast. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, John Olds. Unfortunately, Mike cannot make it here today, but we're looking forward to having him back on next episode next week. So John and I thought it would be a good idea if we kind of talked about some of the things that we've noticed, you know, this year campaigning around COVID and all of the other factors that, you know, campaigning, bringing a global pandemic may bring. So we're going to talk about that today. So let's jump right into it. So all around us today, there is, you know, politicking, there's people canvassing, there's elections going on in every nook and cranny of our country. And, you know, anyone that has done any sort of work in politics will tell you that the last few weeks preceding an election are by far the most important weeks. There is not a time where a get out to vote effort is more important, especially this year. With the rise of mail-in voting and early voting this year to curb COVID-19 spread at the polls, it's important that campaigns are getting out early and getting out effectively the vote. I think that Ryan and I are in a unique position this year where we're both not only the co-hosts of of the Gen Z GOP podcast, but we're also campaign managers. And as Ryan mentioned before, there are a number of changes that go into how campaigns are managed this year. Um, Chief among them are how campaigns are dealing with so many people voting before election day. And as Ryan mentioned, that's not necessarily a bad thing at all, but it totally changes how a campaign operates. If you're spending a ton of money on voter contact in the last week of an election, where 60 to 70% of your district or constituency or state has already voted, then you're essentially lighting money on fire. And and that's something that campaigns are going to have to grapple with. And it's a really good indicator of how strong the campaign apparatus and operation is. If you're getting robocalls and mailers in the last week of the, of the, of the cycle, you pretty much know that that candidate isn't really considering how different the campaign landscape is this year. And there are a number of, of different parts of campaigning that have drastically changed. I think Ryan and I will be able to speak effectively about what it's been like out there. Yeah, John, throughout this cycle, it's just been tremendously different. You know, back in March um, and early April, as COVID started, uh, I was working on helping getting the signatures uh, to get on the ballot for senatorial candidate Kevin O'Connor. And we already had a hard task because we had to get 10,000 signatures, you know, in about a month and a half. And that was before COVID. And so the moment the coronavirus outbreak started and everything was closing and everyone kind of went all berserk, getting signatures was, you know, incredibly difficult. And so by that early interaction that we kind of had with how campaigning was going to be, we already knew this year was going to be anything but normal. And everything that we kind of knew was no longer relevant. It was no longer going to be by the books. You know, this campaign cycle had to be different and things had to be moved around. But I will tell you, like being out there, you know, doing lit drops and canvassing where I can, it's definitely different, but it's still effective. But that kind of brings me to this idea that, you know, I I think anyone who's 
been an active canvasser this election, they've noticed that Joe Biden and a lot of the Democrat campaigns have altogether canceled door-to-door canvassing. Obviously, that's not the case for every campaign. But when I saw that announcement, I said, wow, you know, that that really is a big shakeup from the norm. And, you know, I'll take it for what it is. Maybe they have some other strategy that they've been, you know, executing this whole time. It just, it didn't make sense to me. Well, it seems like both both the Trump and the Biden campaign have resorted to peer-to-peer texting. And I just love screwing around with all the texts from the Democratic candidates that I get. And they, they ask me if I'm voting for Joe and Kamala and all the Democrats down ballot. And I, you know, pretend like I'm some deranged idiot or something. I don't know. But that that seems to be one strategy that campaigns are using. But to your point about canvassing and literature drops, I have to say, the idea that you're going to severely limit or altogether ban door-to-door campaigning just seems bizarrely stupid to me. There is a way to do this type of campaigning in a way that's safe. I know there are a lot of state reps up in my area. They wear gloves. They have masks. They are constantly sanitizing. They will knock on a door and step back six feet, or in many cases, it's more than six feet. And there is no proxy for interacting with a voter on their doorstep or they're working in their yard. And there's something so intimate about just asking somebody for their vote. And I think this sort of segues into another point that that I've tried to make to a number of people just talking about campaigns. The way you campaign, like if you campaign with a mask on, if you campaign with social distancing, if you campaign with, you know, you're sanitizing things. I've seen people sanitize their literature, which is a lot of work. But again, it all goes into the COVID caution, uh, cautionary measures that people are taking. And I think that that's a subtle indicator to a voter that, hey, my candidate isn't an idiot. He's taking the virus seriously. And I think people understand that at the end of the day, politics and business must go on. And when they see a political candidate or a political volunteer show up at their door, they're not super perturbed by it. In fact, the only time people have really yelled at me or or been cross with me about campaigning door to door have been people that I later learn are not a fan of my candidate. So to your point about the Democrats, just seems so, just such a big mistake to make. I can't imagine campaigning without going door to door. That's that's how you win. Absolutely. And when that announcement broke, you know, I, I looked at my Facebook feed because I knew all I was going to see was all these other operatives that I know, like just completely you know, voicing their frustration um, on either side, by the way, like people I've known um, that have worked for, you know, opponents and just like everyone across the political spectrum saw that announcement and was just like, why? Like, you know, do you even want to make it competitive? Obviously, the Biden campaign has used other tactics to, you know, have success in the race. But I, I do believe that in some of these down ballot races, some of these state legislator uh, seats, some of these, you know, um, municipal seats, and even some of the U.S. House seats, I think are going to feel the ramifications 
of not getting out and having a productive field program. Because the other thing is that, you know, an effective field program isn't just good for this election cycle. It's good continuously for the years to come. You've hit a house a bunch of times one cycle. Yeah, you still have to hit it the next. But maybe there's a chance that voter is a more likely voter for you. Um, and so I, I do think that some candidates next cycle are going to be behind because of that. Something else I wanted to kind of mention, John, and I, I know I'm going to spark some anger about this from you, is something I've noticed among a lot of like the, you know, the grassroots is the increase of sign holds and sign waving. And oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know it's, uh, it makes me kind of frustrated. And I had a little dispute with one of these groups on Facebook and I was like, look, you know, here in Massachusetts, we don't have many Republican elected officials and the few that we do, you know, we really like, we're going to keep them around. And one of the groups uh, that represents a town in one of these elected officials districts was out holding Trump signs. Okay, whatever, hold Trump signs. But like, I just don't understand how people can waste their time in a state like Massachusetts holding Trump signs when you could be, you know, helping that elected official at holding a sign or better yet, making calls or being at the doors. And John, I'm sure you've had experience with this. Yeah. And, and I want to preface what I'm about to say with I've interacted with a number of Republican town committees throughout this election cycle and they, by and large, are very helpful, very active, willing to help, which isn't always the norm in Massachusetts. Usually these town committees are inactive or they just, you know, they're up a creek without a paddle. They just don't quite know what to do in order to be effective. But you're right. There is this, there is this sort of bizarre desire to hold signs. And, and there is certainly a place for sign holding, right? It's not like it's actively driving voters away. But when I see campaigns that are only holding signs, and you know for a fact that the opportunity cost of holding a sign is door knocking, actually talking to voters on the phone or in their yards or on their front porches, whatever it may be. And it just is beyond me that it, it almost, and I'm going to sound a little crass here, but it's almost a little lazy. And I know that that Ryan and I will have these conversations, you know, well, I'll say, Ryan, I'm going to call you for five minutes and we talk for an hour. Um, but it's not hard to outwork the Democrats. It really isn't. It's not hard to have a more active campaign and a more effective campaign. It's a staple of Republican politics to be a more effective campaign with less money. But when I see these people holding signs, and if you do it every day in the same spot, the same people start to drive by and they get annoyed. I don't know. It just yeah. it just doesn't seem like a proper use of time and resources. No, clearly not. And I wanted to touch on a point that you made there. I think the Republican Party easily time after time outworks other candidates i think we saw in california's 25th congressional district with mike garcia who won that special election a couple months ago you know that was like the first republican pickup of a democrat seat in like decades i'm pretty sure in california it, it was incredible and that doesn't happen on accident it happened because there was a good candidate it happened because that candidate had a team who outworked 
the other team. You know, I think people sometimes get comfortable when they think the seat is theirs. And the Republicans can take notes from that. We've done it time and time again. Obviously, there are other keys to success. And as I mentioned, needing a very strong candidate. But I have so many experiences when I was in Northern Virginia politics of just, you know, showing up early, staying late. And I think voters take note of that, whether it be at an event or going door knocking all day or, you know, phone calling the day before Election Day. Like those extra few things, like just making an extra few calls, doing a couple extra doors, staying a couple extra minutes. Not that voters per se will see that exact action, but, you know, that's what makes a difference. It's not, oh, we're going door knocking from 10 to 2 and you leave at 145. It's like 10 to 2, but I still need to finish this walkbook. So you stay until 3. I mean, that's what wins elections. Being a campaign that can convince people that, you know, this is someone I want to get behind, that wins elections. And I guess a lot of the problems I see currently within the party, besides some of, you know, the rhetoric issues, is that we're almost not nominating candidates that people can, you know, get behind like that. You know, it's a certain grassroots sect that is like, oh, yeah, these are, this is my guy or this is my girl. And then it's like the everyday public is like, oh, I'm not going to go volunteer for that person. And we really need to get better candidates that people want to get out for. And John, I know like we can go back and forth about the power of good candidates, but I just, I see this as a major issue facing the Republican party right now. Wait, you mean, you mean the quality of candidates matters, <laughs> Ryan? I, I had no idea. Um, so this is going to sound like we're, we're preaching to the choir this this whole episode, I feel like, but it's it's. I so mean, it true. has to be said. It has I, to be I'm, said. I don't think we hear it enough. I think people at this point have taken what we're set, like saying as just like textbook knowledge, and then they're not actively thinking about it. Yeah, and I think that that's certainly a, a part of our mission at Gen Z GOP is to not only in, encourage the party to to change, but also to encourage good Republicans. Republicans that are service oriented, Republicans that are going to talk about, you know, the traditional conservative values, but also apply them to the issues that matter to young people. I think that that's super important. And, and that's going to be a crucial part of, of where we go next. But it it's so bizarre to me because Ryan and I are from Massachusetts, right? Where we work in Massachusetts Republican politics. It's a unique and crazy world sometimes it's not always uh it's not always productive there's there's sometimes a, a decent amount of drama sometimes but at the end of the day sometimes no yeah we <laughs> we we do our best to keep it above board but it's 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 sometimes a frustrating place to be whether it's a, a party or a politician just totally misreading where they are. I mean, what what might play in Texas or a red state doesn't always play here. And I've had a number of conversations with people that, you know, I tell them you're not a bad Republican because you're compromising on this issue. You're you're just sacrificing votes. And it's it's such a I, I think that there's a way to find a happy medium between being principled and also winning elections. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is like, you know, you don't have to sacrifice your principles and I think there's a way to do it. 
in the sense of just not over talking about an issue. You know, if an issue you're talking about isn't popular among the public, maybe just, you know, read the room and say, okay, I'm just going to keep this to my dinner room conversation. Like no need to talk about it at a stump speech. You know, there's definitely politicians who've been effective with this. Um, you know, look, actually look at anyone in DC. They've held back about certain things because they realize, hey, this isn't just going to work. And I think a lot of, you know, a misconception nowadays is that people are like, well, that's sacrificing your principles. That's, you know, you being curbed by the left. And I don't think it is. You know, if we can see more Republican principles in government, because maybe we won't talk about one issue all the time, I think that's better. You know, it bringing back to your point about sine waves, there's an opportunity cost with every political decision that we make. And I think we have to do a better job assessing some of those issues, John, to your point. So I think it would be productive for us to talk about the different races that we've worked in. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, both Ryan and I are both are, are campaign managers in the 2020 election cycle, but he and I have also worked in other races before and Ryan was actually the youngest precinct captain in Virginia politics going back to 2017. Ryan, is that correct? Yeah. So back in 2017, I got involved actually in 2015, but uh, while I was living in Fairfax County, uh, anyone that knows Virginia politics knows Fairfax is that one big blue county that always swings Virginia um, as it pretty much comprises of a couple hundred thousand votes consistently. Um, it's uh, it's the Republicans curse in Virginia. But, you know, I was active in Republican politics, you know, from 2015 to about 2018 in Virginia before moving to Massachusetts. And it was an experience. I think it prepared me well um, because, as John mentioned, I was the youngest precinct captain for the Republicans and I think the Democrats in the whole state. And so I was tasked by the party to, you know, take responsibility over a certain region, my precinct which was a couple thousand voters and, you know, consistently get the voters out. And let me tell you, it was, it was incredible to look at the maps afterwards because I would go through, call different people in my district or my precinct. Um, I would knock on doors and we would always see higher turnouts for Republicans than Democrats. And that wasn't, you know, a coincidence. That wasn't just because of where I lived. It was because we got out and we got the vote out. And we consistently pushed people that wouldn't normally vote and they came out, you know, that's, that's what it takes to win these elections. And we didn't win them all. You know, if anyone knows Virginia politics, 2017 was an awful year for Republicans. 2019 was even worse, but you know, we don't have anything and we can't grow as a party. If we don't put in the work early, you know, I, I think come 2021, maybe it's a better year for Virginia Republicans and maybe they can look at my precinct that I did all that work in and they could be like, hey, this is a great place for us to round up the vote here. Uh, this is a great place for us to learn from what we've done well. And all it takes is a couple people getting involved in their communities, a, pe- a couple people saying to a campaign, yeah, I'm going to help you. I'm going to intern. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to call a couple voters. Just today, I was calling for Susan Collins up in Maine. Things like that make a difference. It it's the small actions. It's the getting involved, taking an initiative. It's it's not much, but people like me and you can like make the difference. 
It's not much, but it's honest work. Oh, it is. On a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I I, I certainly do envy Ryan um, being being in that position at such a young age. I'm... I feel like the older state, uh, elder statesman in this organization sometimes, but I, I I never formally worked on a campaign until this year. But I volunteered for a number of campaigns in the past, whether it was Governor Baker uh, or my state representative. And this year, I kind of got thrust into the job of campaign manager. Uh, guy's name is Lenny Mira. He's running for reelection as our state representative up in the North Shore of Massachusetts. And it was middle of the lockdowns. It was April. It was dreary. I had just gotten the summer job that I was supposed to have canceled. And I was sort of floundering, just what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I'm going into my senior year of college. The My job prospects just got completely shot because of covid and on a whim, I reached out to my state rep who had spoken at my Eagle Scout Court of Honor and barely knew the guy at all. I knew his name. I knew I voted for him. But other than that, it wasn't really too much that, that I had a relationship with him. And he goes, you know what, John, I want to know what your thoughts are on my race. And I said, okay, fine. So I write up a memo. And he liked it so much. And he goes, I want to bring you on. I was like, bring you on, bring me on as what? And he goes, well, you want to manage my campaign? And I said, well, yeah, I got nothing better to do. <laughs> and, it, and it's been an amazing experience. Um, not only have I been able to connect with so many people that I knew growing up in town, I've just immersed myself in local politics. And it's not always the most friendly world you know some of the people that are involved in local politics are a little uh, a little loony but but there's it's it's because they care at the end of the day and being able to be a campaign manager not only has been an honor for me because I'm so proud to work for my boss it doesn't always happen by the way and Ryan can certainly speak to that as well with his boss P- part of why <laughs> So many people are demoralized by politics, and I think there is some polling data that came out about this. People are just ashamed of politics. They're they're tired of the vitriol. They're tired of the same old talking points and canned lines being spouted out over radio and TV and mail and Facebook ads, and they're just tired of it. And I don't blame them. And I think when you find someone like Lenny or Mike Soder, which is Ryan's boss, you have this sort of pride to work for your guy because he gets so much results, so many things done for their communities. You know, think about, think about what a state rep or a state senator or a, you know, town councilor does. Their job is to get projects done. At the end of the day, they're not really that partisan. You know, it's getting things like local aid or, repairing a pothole or rebuilding a bridge or making sure that the schools have PPE or, I don't know, funding for HVAC systems so that they can get optimum, optimal air quality in, in, in the schools. Like, it's silly things like that, right? But this is what our state reps and our state legislators do 
And when you have a good one, you want to keep them. And that's why I'm working for Lenny. That's why you're working for Mike. You yeah. Know? Well, and I wanted to touch on something else you said there. You mentioned like, you know, interacting with people. And as much as I love working with Mike, it's not Mike that makes the job rewarding. It's seeing the fact that you're helping someone who, you know, has touched the lives of all these people. It's not like this national politics thing where, you know, these politicians are seen as save like, like these cultish like figures. They're the ones who are, you know, getting people's unemployment fixed. They're the ones who are helping people, you know, get assistance from the state government or local government. They're the ones who are actively helping. You know, I think there's this idea of government. It's to help people. Well, that's what those state reps are doing. That's what these local legislators are doing. Um and it's a huge. And I, so I, yeah. I, I got, I got to jump in here because it's, it's, it's so important to note this, especially with um, state legislators. This year, I've gotten probably forty texts, emails, phone calls of people that just said, "I applied for unemployment." A lot of times, it was the first time anybody's filed for unemployment in their life. They were ashamed. They couldn't. The system wasn't working for them. There was a glitch, a snafu internally, and it kind of gummed up the works there. And, you know, my boss's office got called and they were able to work out the kinks. They were able to get that person their unemployment because people were hurting. And I, as the campaign manager, get reached out to and say, hey, your boss, Lenny Mira, he, uh, he was there for me. He was there for me when when I was down and out. And and they say, come by, give me a bumper sticker, give me a lawn sign. Uh, you know, I'd love to put up my story as a letter to, letter to the editor uh, in the paper. This is the stuff that not only wins elections, constituent services, but it's indicative of the time that we live in. I mean, how many times has there been a pandemic when public servants have been able to so directly affect the lives of their constituents? Yeah, absolutely. And I can, you know, talk about all those same circumstances that I've heard and interacted with people who've been benefited by Mike. And it's truly mesmerizing that, you know, we could be seeing some of these things from our other levels of government. We're not. Um, you know, that's a shame. But take it for what it is. I think a lot of our state legislators are, you know, underappreciated. And I think our a lot of our state and local politics are underappreciated. You know, I think people can say, hey, our system's broken. Politics sucks right now. Yeah, it does on a national level. Most of our state rep races, most of our state Senate races, you know, there's there's issues. There's there's bad apples. But in the large scheme of things, they're good people who are all dedicated to serving the public and are really dedicated towards, you know, the betterment of their communities. And back to what I was saying originally, you know, it's hearing these stories from the public saying like, hey, your boss, he's no normal politician, like he's a leader. He's someone who's helped me when I've struggled. And I think that makes a difference. And, you know, going back to door knocking, you know, you hear those stories at the door, you know, you, you go up to some random person's door and they're like, yeah, I know Mike or I know Lenny or whoever it is. Yeah, they help me. You know, that's I consider them a neighbor. They're a friend. Um and those are the stories you have to hear. Those are the stories that win races. Those interactions are what make candidates successful. And going back again, 
like Mike Garcia in California 25th Congressional District. He interacted with people well. He wasn't a candidate people ought to shy away from. He was no Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. He was no QAnon supporter or some bigot. He was a veteran. He was a community leader. He was someone people could be proud of. You know, it's we hear about all these elections where Republicans do so well, and yet we don't take notice about why they do so well. They have a good field program. They're a good candidate. And it's these little things that in the long haul, as you know, after this election cycle, our party is going to have to take things away and say, like, what worked, what didn't work. And this has to be a clear message that we need good candidates. We need good campaigns. We need people who are like these state legislators who are focused on their constituents, who are focused on the actual issues at hand, not, you know, defeating the radical leftists or, you know, some trivial issue that actually plays no role in the lives of everyday people. And we have to face as a party, like there's no denying it. There's no getting out of it. Our party pretty much has to take accountability for its flaws in the past and we have to reflect and we have to grow. Yeah. So field programs are effective, but it's just so different this year. And every part of your campaign has to meet the moment. And COVID has totally upended what we've thought an effective campaign should be. And it's hard to even recruit volunteers, I'm sure, because people don't want to be socializing as much. I know that that's certainly been a sticking point for a number of the volunteers that I've worked with that are older. They're saying, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out this year. And that's understandable. And you have to, you know, just take it and move on and, and be creative. But a- another thing that I just want to mention, I really can't stand when I see campaigns acting almost exactly like they would if this were 2012 or 2016. It just demonstrates to me that people aren't going, they're just not meeting the moment. This is not a typical campaign year. It shouldn't be treated like a typical campaign year. You should be spending far much, far more money on digital ads. Why are you spending money on campaign literature if you're going to maybe scale back your canvassing a little bit and people are on their computers all day? So that means they're checking Facebook more. That means they're watching more streaming services. So programmable TV and ads on Hulu, that matters. And I just don't always see it from some of the campaigns that I interact with. And I just bugs the crap out of me and it's like that you know that old saying it's like not it's not what happens but it's how you you get up and how you overcome whatever that phrase is um but it's these campaigns you know they got to be prepared they got to overcome and i can't keep stressing this point that like you know when you have the right candidate when you have the right team overcoming an obstacle overcoming adversity is not difficult and the party needs to be better about that. The party needs to be better about, you know, getting better candidates. Like we've had a bunch this cycle, like Peter Meyer and Michigan's third. I've just been completely, you know, inspired by like his story and what he's been focusing on. Like there are ways for the Republican party to succeed. 
and we have to use them. Like moving forward from this election cycle, we got to focus more on doors once this whole COVID thing's over. We got to focus more on the things that actually matter. And that will be better for all of us. So as I wrap up this episode, I want to leave some parting words. Focus on the candidates in your community that you've seen do great work. They're the ones that Democrats and Republicans and independents and libertarians and whatever other parties that exist, they're the ones that those supporters even say, I'm going to get behind that candidate. Look at your, you know, even maybe even some of your federally elected Republicans. There are great ones out there. Um, look at what they're doing right and realize that more of the party needs to be like that. We can learn from our failures. Like that's how parties succeed. The Democrats learn from theirs. Republican re- Republicans learn from theirs. It, it happens. Election cycles teach a lot lessons. And as we head into one of the most ritual filled, violent, not, not violent, um, just emotional elections of in recent years, you know, there's things to take away no matter the outcome. And I really hope that there's a couple of things that we can take away as in good candidates, better door knocking and, you know, good canvassing all around. So just a reminder, please check out our social media on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, Gen Z GOP org. Check out our website at Gen Z And most of all, keep tuning into the podcast. We really appreciate all the support we've received. We're excited to be back with Mike next week and have a great rest of your week. Thank you.